Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is really meaningful just to connect with you right here in this space uh, on our campus. And for those of you who are joining us as part of our online community, welcome to New Hope Church right here in the Minneapolis area. Uh, my name is Matthew, and uh, I'm just so privileged to be part of the family that is here. And I'm grateful to be here with you. And uh, I'm, I want to just say thank you for entering in so fully, so meaningfully to this extended time of prayer and reflection and petition with regard to persecuted Christians scattered all over the world. What a privilege it is for us uh, to enter in with them and, and to join together, as it were, mystically and spiritually as the global body of Christ and just appeal to our Heavenly Father uh, with regard to these things. I'm, I'm thankful to be able to be part of that uh, with you. Uh, listen, a little bit ago you heard from uh, our friend Chris Jones and Pastor Paul talking about uh, the Thanksgiving offering and our partnership with the Mangala Christians that are in India. And it, it is exciting. And uh, there, I mean, the, the gospel is spreading like wildfire there. And people are coming to know Jesus and churches are getting planted. And it is an exciting and, and meaningful movement of God. And, and I just want to really urge you to join us in partnering with uh, them to, to give a big financial push, a good word of encouragement to them uh, in these uh, days ahead here as we come alongside them. You can see uh, the information on the website as was mentioned earlier. Uh, let me just mention too though, uh, we are praying for another team to go uh, later in this spring, so around April or so. So if you might have a sense that God would tap you on the shoulder and say, you need to go to India, then I want to direct your attention to my friend Chris Jones and talk to him, let him know, you know, I'd like to know more about that and go and experience what God is doing there and uh, be swept up, as it were, uh, in the movement of the Holy Spirit as he proclaims the majesty of Jesus among the Mangala people. I urge you to do that. I urge you to do that. Now, uh, this week, uh, we know uh, we have a, a significant election here on Tuesday. And uh, so I'd like to pray for that right now. Let me encourage you, if you've not already voted, to please do so. And I, I just exhort you strongly, as you do so, uh, please just employ the timeless wisdom of the Most High God and, and uh, choose uh, your ballot in such a way that uh, his righteousness and his wisdom prevails. Think in that way. Ask for the mind of Christ to be yours as you make your decision points here uh, this coming Tuesday. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to pray for these who have suffered far and wide. Continue to do so. And uh, we, we do not take for granted the opportunity to enter into uh, Christians all over the world today praying for those who suffer and are persecuted. Thank you that you never turn a deaf ear our way. You always hear our prayers. Father, we thank you too for the effort uh, unfolding in India among this beautiful people, the Mangala people. And we ask in the name of Jesus that his name would be known among them far and wide, that many thousands would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
And to the extent that we, uh, right here in the Minneapolis area, can, can encourage that both uh, in terms of our prayers and, and with regard to our uh, financial gifts, but also in regard to just our physical participation and proximity and encouragement. Uh, Lord, make it be so and, and help us to be good partners in that cause. And Father, we're mindful of the election coming up Tuesday, and we pray in the name of Jesus that Jesus' righteousness would prevail, and that as we step into ballot boxes and as we uh, check the marks on the pages, that God, you would grant us your wisdom so that the things you value and treasure would be the things that are made manifest. Oh Lord, would you help us to have the wisdom toward that great end? We pray for our nation, for uh, those leaders, both local and state and nationally, those who are currently in positions of influence and those who shall be. And we ask, O oh God of heaven, that somehow through all the chaos of our politics, you would bring great glory to your name. Now, Father, we're going to spend time here in this love letter called the Bible, and we plead with you for your counsel and care as we do, because we want so much to be more like Jesus, and we need your help toward that end, and we also want to be a people that are carried along by the Spirit of God, and so, oh Lord, we avail ourselves toward that, and we ask you, in effect, to have your way right now, and all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. I want to take a moment before we dive in and just give a shout out to my good friend, Leroy, right over here, who has, about a year ago, a great act of courage, stepped away and turned, checked himself into something called the Minnesota Teen and Adult Challenge. And here you are today, my friend. Welcome home to your church that loves you. Your church loves you, brother. We love you, and we are glad you're back home. Yeah. All right? Yeah. All right? Let's give it up for Leroy again. At Life Group the other night, a question was asked around the table about what was the toughest time in our lives. Krista and I looked at each other. We knew instantly what our answer would be. It was the same answer. 1996. We were five years into our marriage, but our marriage was completely unraveling. And let me be crystal clear. The reason was me. It was totally on me. I was harsh to her. I was hypercritical. I was impatient. I was self-righteous. I was dabbling in things unworthy of her or Jesus, and I was indifferent toward her. And as if those things were not enough, I was completely blind to how much I was hurting her. I didn't care. 
Now understand, I'm the pastor of a church. And on a particular night, I am at church and I'm teaching from the Bible. And in particular, I was teaching from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. You'll see it on your screen here. Look with me. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, when I was teaching it, I was using a different Bible translation than this one, and so it said, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the wellspring, or for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, keep your heart. But you know what, despite all my words, I was doing nothing of the sort. And the one paying the biggest price for this was my, my dear Krista. To guard your heart, to guard is to watch over, to keep, to protect. Like someone who owns property might do. And so she or he installs something like a simply safe security system. Or maybe a ring doorbell. To guard your heart is to install a simply safe security system upon your soul. To put a ring doorbell on the door of your heart so that it is monitoring all of the threats, so that it is aware of what is going on within, the things that are good and the things that might be troublesome. To guard your heart can look like having genuine friendships. Spending time absorbing the Word of God. Setting your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Having a determination to be in intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And so much more. A turning point for Krista and me, came about because of one question that she asked me in December of 1996. This question saved our marriage. And the question was this, Matthew, am I gonna tell the elders how bad our marriage is, or are you? Because one way or the other, they're about to find out. Now that is courage, and that is integrity right there. And my wife embodies both. And you should know, God wrecked me and I did indeed tell our elders, and I am so grateful for the way God changed me, changed us.
Now, as we are spending time in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament of our Bibles, as we proceed through it, we come to recognize that somebody told on God's people. Somebody told that the people that should know better are not doing better. Somebody revealed that God's men, and in many ways that's who Malachi is speaking to right here, somebody revealed that God's men have abandoned God's best and were pursuing pagan women and pagan ways. Or if they weren't doing that, at the very least, they were being harsh and demeaning and wounding of their wives. And Malachi, this prophet for whom the book is named, this emissary of God, he confronts it head on. He calls it out and declares it for what it is. And his strong words provide for you and me insight into God's vision and God's values for marriage and relationships in general and also ultimately for the global witness of God's people, the global witness of the church before a watching world. Let's talk first about the marriage. If you have your Bibles, you might look with me, Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 10, 11, and 12. Here is what the prophet pens. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Poetically imagining his own people as a singular son, Judah, poetically imagining God's people as a singular son, Judah, Malachi calls out this Judah because he has abandoned the heritage of his faith, he has walked away from holiness and from the promises of God in order to embrace the pleasures of a woman who is not fearing God and who has no concern for what God values or what God envisions 
And indeed, she is embodying the spirit of those who conform to the world and to the flesh and to the devil himself. And that is why Malachi even refers to such as a daughter of a foreign god. It is his way of saying, in effect, that's a child of Satan. And God's people are aligning themselves with such. God's men in the family there are giving themselves to such. Malachi calls it out. It is sin. It is wrong. It grieves the heart of God. And so Malachi, he's declaring this is a problem. Now, this is a significant problem in that era. And by the way, in ours. Malachi's contemporaries, Ezra and Nehemiah, dealt with this. You could take time and look at both those Old Testament books, but uh, in particular, we could pause and just uh, consider uh, what Nehemiah has to say about it. Nehemiah chapter uh, 13, verses uh, 26 and 27. Now, again, Nehemiah is a contemporary of Malachi. Here's what Nehemiah says to God's people, particularly to these men of God who are giving themselves to these pagan women. Nehemiah says, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? Now, let me be clear here. It's very important what I'm about to say. The reference here to foreign women is not about race or ethnicity. I hope you hear me here. In the whoop and wharf of God's word, such references aren't about race and ethnicity. Esteemed scholar Dr. Earl Rodmacher puts it this way. The question of intermarriage in ancient Israel was, a, or was not racial or ethnic, but spiritual. It's a spiritual problem. A lack of faithfulness to God himself. These men of Israel knew better. They knew better, and yet, and yet they embraced these pagan women, sometimes even divorcing their own wives to go and do so. And we have to understand how deeply this grieved a holy God. In fact, we read in the scriptures in, in uh, Second uh, Corinthians, in uh, Second Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse 14, we 
we see these words. Listen carefully. They're very important. All of you listen. You young people especially hear me. You students, you, you high school students, you college students, you young adults, listen to these words. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? This is the word of God. Well, Malachi goes on. He goes forward here. He tells us, he says that... It, it might not be only that God's men are reaching for those that God has said they must not reach for. They may be restraining themselves in that regard, and yet it's still too common, hear me now, that God's men, oh, they may be pious when it comes to the pagans, but they are treating their wives treacherously at home. And so, Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the prophet says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And the language here implies that this seemingly faithful Jewish man part of the community of God's people. He goes and he worships and he cries at the altar and he goes through all the histrionics of, of worship and sacrifice and so forth and then he goes home to the wife of his youth and he treats her like dirt. And God's heart is And indeed, what we need to understand here is this treachery, along with the pursuit of the pagan women, is an abomination before a holy God. And the Apostle Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, he tells us, he says, husbands, listen to me now, he says, husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, men, I need you to listen to me. Wherever you are, perhaps you're watching as part of our online community, or maybe you're right here in this room, I need you to pay attention here. There is no doubt that these broken patterns go both ways. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. I know that, of course. Trust me. I spend plenty of my own time with families right here in our church. 
I know it can go both ways. The wife is the one who might be less inclined to yield toward the, the holiness of God. I get that. It can be. It can go both ways. But when you read, when we read, men, listen to me. When we read through the scriptures, it becomes abundantly clear that the onus is on us men. Are you listening? The onus is on us. And so as we think about what Malachi is highlighting here, as he uh, deals with this reality of these so-called men of God who are giving allegiance to godless women, or at the very least are going through all the gymnastics of godliness, yet going home and treating their wives so poorly, as we look at that, we have to ask ourselves, how might that translate into our time now? And there could be an array of things. Pornography. Misogyny. A critical spirit. Self-righteousness. Impatience. Indifference. Now, ladies, some of these things may be what you're experiencing with your husbands or your boyfriend or your father. Men, do any of these things describe you today? Now, please hear me. Please understand, this thinking, this behavior, is a gross violation of God's covenants with his people, both old and new, and his covenant with us with regard to marriage. And this is very important for us to grasp. With regard to to God's covenants with his people. I'm, I'm reminded of, of uh, the covenant forged on the desert sands there in Sinai in the most ancient days with Moses and the people of God. And according to Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 and 5 and 6, we read this, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is what the people of Israel were to hear. And then unfolds this a greatly detailed law of God given to the people. And within that law are admonitions for God's people to not intermarry with those who are faithless. And so the men, for example, are told, do not pursue the pagan women. Do not pursue their ways. Those who do not fear God, do not pursue them in marriage. 
And as if that were not enough, we also read in God's law that uh, it is the responsibility of men to, to secure and to safeguard the happiness of his wife, of their wives. The well-being we ought to be thinking about that, focused on that. How might I honor her, lift her up? That ought to be the thing that, that wakes us up every day. As a matter of fact, obeying God really honors the women of the community. Men, listen. And obeying God honors the community. The community of faith, that's why Malachi says, look, for those who are not obeying, may they not enter anymore into the tents of Jacob. In other words, they have no place in the community. The community really matters. And uh, we saw this even last weekend when we were together in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9, uh, when we read these words about the, the community of faith uh, under the new covenant, under the reign of Jesus uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That ought to be who we are. Community matters, and how we live within it matters. For sure. Now, that's the covenant God has with his people, but then there's also the covenant that uh, relates to marriage, and it's not just between two, but between three, the man, the woman, and God himself. The man, the woman, and God himself. Now, Jesus, please hear me, is really clear about this. Jesus is so clear in his own reflections on marriage and relationships uh, of that level Indeed, he roots, please hear me, here he is in the New Testament era, rooting his wisdom in the Old Testament, particularly Genesis chapter 2, wherein Jesus affirms that there are only two genders, male and female, only two true genders, and that human sexuality is centered upon a marriage covenant between one man and one woman. Jesus centers sex within the context of a marriage between one man and one woman. And he says, and this is ordained by, sanctioned by, and put together by God himself in front of a supportive community of people. Notice these words, Matthew chapter 19 it's very important that we hear them. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says this, verse 3 and following. The Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is a euphemism for sexual consummation. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Notice the community dynamic here. God is doing this thing 
Father, Son, and Spirit, personification of community. And the community is watching and told to be supportive of what God is doing and not against it, by the way. And we have here God's vision and values for marriage. And so to do harshly or to give allegiance to those who are not fearing God, to do harshly or to give allegiance to those who are not fearing God is to distort all that God has designed. It is to forfeit his favor and it creates no end of pain and trauma for individuals, for families, for the community. And this is why the Apostle Paul, by the way, exhorts men in particular with these words in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and following. Listen to these words. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. My friend, Ray Ortland, he says to me, Matthew, Jesus will never berate his bride. And by the way, in that conversation, and as we read here, we're talking about the church. Do you berate the church? Stop it. Jesus never berates his bride. Now, he will call it to better things, but he will not berate it. Husbands, your own bride, the text says to cherish and nourish. That's what Jesus does, and that's what you need to do, and that's what I need to do. Now, scholar David Guzik gives us three truths about this that I want to highlight for you. You'll, you'll see them up on your screen here. If you're online, you can watch it there, right here in front of us here. So here's the first one, all right? So God loves marriage for what it displays about his relationship to us. And one of the things it displays is his loyal love, his, what the Old Testament calls his chesed love. It's this loyal, unfailing, merciful love. And marriage is a petri dish for this. Number two, David Guzik offers this. God loves marriage for the good it does in society. Marriage makes our society to be more just and good and strong. Number three, God loves marriage as a tool for conforming us into the image of Jesus. Oh, it is like taking granite or marble and with a stencil and hammer 
shaping and honing and making us to be like Christ. Marriage does that if we're willing. My friend, our colleague, our esteemed global statesman, Chris Jones, right here on the front row who's shaking his head at me right now. He adds a fourth one here to what Dr. Guzik says. God loves marriage as the fount of both physical and spiritual children building the community of faith. In other words, we have an opportunity within the context of a healthy marriage to influence offspring we may have or maybe we will never have them but we have spiritual sons and daughters far and wide into whose lives we can invest first timothy chapter 1 verse 2 is a great example of the single man paul the apostle who speaks with great love and affection for his son of the faith and that is timothy and so as i read these i'm reminded here please understand with me all of these serve all relationships serve to embody to represent to highlight these truths every relationship married or not every relationship married or not and this is why we as a church need to be so committed to being a loving and unified community of faith and not a people that are marked by disarray and discord. Jesus says in John 13, 35, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. But Malachi is communicating really matters. It matters for us who are married and how we relate to each other and men in particular, how we love our wives. It matters in all the relationships that we have within every sphere of our existence. It matters for the witness of the church to a watching world that wants to know is there something worthwhile here? And so, and so we close with this exhortation from Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Again, it'll be, it'll be in front of you here. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Twice in these two verses, in the midst of the honest assessment of the brokenness of relationships, we see these two refrains, guard yourselves, guard yourselves. Guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Guard yourself. So I leave this image with you. Let me ask you, would you stand with me right now? I leave this image with you. I want you to really sit in it. If the Lord of hosts, now listen to me here, every one of you. 
If the Lord of hosts looked into the eyes of your mate, of your child, of your neighbor, of that stranger, of that so-called other, if the Lord of hosts looked into the eyes of these, would he see pain because of you? Heavenly Father, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Help us to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Help us to have a vision for your purposes, your glory, your best. Oh, convict us of our sin and forgive us of all of the ways we fall short. Help us because of the blood of Jesus covering us to stand up as women and men, clean, forgiven, whole. And from that freedom, may we invest in those around us with your love that knows no bounds. May we forego harshness for gentleness. May we forego fear for courage. May we forego petty self-absorption for complete other-centeredness. Indeed, may we be like Jesus, O God of heaven. And as we are like him who loves us best, may the world watch and in amazement say, I want that right there. And all of God's people said, Amen.